This morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 11, and we are looking at a man by the name of Isaac. Isaac, many know him as the son of promise, the son of Abraham that God gave to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And in the entire chapter of Hebrews 11, where we have all of these different people mentioned that God says lived by faith, there's only one verse given to Isaac. And that verse is a very short verse, but I think there's some great things for us to consider this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 20, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, if you don't know the story of Isaac, that verse seems kind of cryptic. Concerning things to come. What's he talking about? So I'd like you to go with me back to the book of Genesis so we can see what this is referring to. Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. And if you would, listen as I read a big portion of Scripture because this is Bible story time. I don't know if as a child you grew up going to Sunday school and you heard all kinds of Bible stories in your class. If you didn't, that's okay. You're going to get one this morning. This is an incredible story of God at work even in spite of the wrong choices of people. You know, God is still faithful and He still accomplishes His plan even when we are busy not doing what He wants us to do. And in this story, we see a tremendous example of God's power, His work, and we'll see how Isaac truly did have faith, even though when you, read this, when you hear me read this story in a moment, you're going to say, well, where is the faith of Isaac? I, I don't see it there in the story. So I love how this comes together. I hope that you'll catch it with me this morning. Genesis 27, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said to him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. Esau was a deer hunter. And make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may, be, may bless thee before I die. Esau was the eldest son. Therefore, as would have been commonplace in that day, Isaac would give the oldest son his blessing, his inheritance. He would pass down these important things to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah, this is Isaac's wife, spake unto Jacob, her son. Now, Jacob and Esau, if you know the story, they were twins. But Esau was born just a little bit before Jacob, so therefore Esau was the older son, and he would receive the larger portion of the inheritance, as was the custom of the day. But Rebekah really loved Jacob. He was special to her. And she told to Jacob, her son, she said, Behold, I heard thy father speak to Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. A lot going on in this story. You've got a, a husband and wife, Isaac and Rebekah, who each have a favorite son. These sons are twin brothers. The older brother gets sent out into the field to bring a deer in and to make it for his dad just the way he likes it. But mom, she's deceptive, but she's clearly a good cook because she can make goat meat taste like venison. And so she sends Jacob out to get goats and to kill them. And she says, I'm going to make them tasty just like their dad likes. Or there could be something entirely different going on. Maybe Isaac is old and he just can't taste anymore. We don't know exactly what all is going on. But this is a really fascinating story. Listen, it says, verse 11, Jacob, he's, 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 a, he's a very smart guy. It says, and Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. 
and I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me and shall seem to him as, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared under the hand of her son Jacob. And he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. So up to this point, we see a family where there's favorites. We see a family where the mom and dad, husband and wife, have two different agendas. We see a family with twin brothers who are willing to go against each other. We see a family where lies are being told. You say, where's the faith in this family? I see a lot of problems. Oh, there are lots of problems in this family. And it says here, And Isaac said to his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Another lie. And Isaac said to Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. Another lie. And he said, Bring it near me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near now, my son, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass. As soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that, my soul, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Then notice these last few words that Isaac says, Yea, and he shall be blessed. Today I want us to look at Isaac. And I want you to notice how the principle of faith operated in and through his life. But in order to understand this, we really need to link up Hebrews 11.20 with Genesis chapter 27, 1-33, what we just read. Because it is in connection with Isaac's faith in blessing Jacob and Esau concerning things to come that the writer of Hebrews calls our attention. No reference is made in Hebrews chapter 11 to the fact that Isaac is also a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus. 
But before we get into the message this morning, I just want to point out a few things, how this beautiful picture that Isaac has in his life, even though he did a lot of things wrong, he still helps us to see what God was doing in his plan to bring a Savior to all mankind. First of all, we see that Isaac was, like our Savior, the son of promise. God said to Sarah, God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. There was a miracle involved in the birth of Isaac. Matthew 1.23, the Bible says about Jesus, Behold, a virgin shall, 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 I can't say the verse, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, God with us. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac also was offered by his father on the altar of sacrifice. In Genesis 22, 9, it says, They came, this is Isaac and Abraham, they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Speaking of Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Yeah. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac, like our Savior, was offered upon the altar of sacrifice. Isaac also was the son of resurrection. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Isaac is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. He wasn't Jesus Christ, but he was a foreshadowing of what God would do through his son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.4, the Bible says, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We know that Jesus was God's Son come in the flesh to die for our sin. We know that his, his payment is sufficient for our sin, because not only did he die, he rose again. And he's seated now at the right hand of God the Father. Isaac also was the son and heir. Genesis 24, 36, And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him he hath given all that he hath. And in the same way, God has given his son, Jesus Christ, all that he has, because Jesus truly is God in human flesh. Colossians 2.9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We could go on presenting Isaac as a type of our Savior, but I want us to see the emphasis that the Holy Spirit has for us today in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20 when it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. This means that Isaac pronounced a blessing upon his sons with respect to their future condition. That's interesting to think about, that he was blessing, him, blessing them in regards to their future condition, and he did this by faith in God and in full confidence that God would accomplish all that he had promised. What had God promised? Well, he promised through Abraham, that all nations of the earth would be blessed. Isaac was this son of promise. So Isaac understood that through his children, God would carry on that promise to Abraham. And Isaac believed that promise, and he blessed his sons in faith that God would faithfully keep the promise that he had made to Abraham. Isaac was about to die, but he, but he believed that all that God had predicted would take place. Even in his last days on earth, Isaac trusted that God would accomplish his plan. And so that's why I think it's so fascinating that God speaks of Isaac's faith in his blessing of Jacob and Esau. But when you read the story of Jacob and Esau and their blessing, you see a story full of lies, full of deceit. You see a story full of selfishness, full of self-ambition. In fact, you don't see much of God at all. 
And yet through it all, God was faithful. And we do see Isaac's faith in God, even in blessing them. That was the vision of faith. The vision of faith. And in order to see that we may have the vision of faith as well and how that works in our life, I want you to look at seven lessons this morning. I'm going to move pretty quickly through these. But seven lessons concerning the principle of faith as we see it in the life of Isaac. You got your notes ready? Here we go. Number one, true faith must always have to do with things to come. With things not yet revealed to sight. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And he did that by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The things we haven't seen yet, those are the things that require faith. If you've already seen it, you don't have to have faith in it anymore. Last night, some of you were staring at that TV wondering <laughs> if the Astros could pull it off. And you watched inning after inning after inning after inning after inning after inning until finally Pena hit that home run so that we could win one to nothing. Man, baseball's a crazy sport. You sit there for six and a half hours and see one point on the scoreboard. <laughs> and we're still excited about it this morning. It's the only sport other than maybe soccer. But soccer doesn't go for six hours. That's wild. But you know, there were some fans sitting around and said, I had faith all along that they could do it. But you know what? Faith was when they hadn't scored yet. Once they had, oh yeah, we all believe now. Fairweather fan. No, the real fan is the one that has faith even when they haven't won yet, right? And you know, in the same way, our faith in God is not a completely blind faith by any stretch. God has given us His Word. God has given us the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. God hears and answers prayers. But there's so many things along this life and in this life that we must take by faith. And the vision of faith is the ability to trust in things that we haven't seen take place yet. True faith must always have to do with things to come, with things not yet revealed to sight. We live in a world that says, seeing is believing. But for the Christian, rather we should say, believing is seeing. We can believe God to do it, and that gives us the faith to trust and to do what He wants us to do, trusting that He will provide, that He will keep His promise, but He will do it in His time. So how does that apply to us? Well, here's one application. God has revealed certain things to come in His Word. John 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Anybody been to visit their mansion in heaven yet? No, that's why you're still here. Because it's so good, once you get there, you won't come back here because you won't want to and you would have no reason to anymore. But you know, we still sing the song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Why do we sing it? We haven't been there yet. We sing it by faith. By faith in the things that are to come. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, And when he, this is Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. What are these things to come? That Jesus is coming again. What are these things to come? That He's preparing a place for us. 
so that when we pass from this life, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal home in heaven. The unbeliever, though, does not accept God's revelation. The unbeliever does not believe about these things to come, which is why they're called an unbeliever. The believer, on the other hand, accepts what God has revealed, and that is the vision of faith. The vision of faith is saying, this is God's word, therefore I will do what it says. I believe it, and I'm going to do it because this is the word of God. Faith, true faith, always has to do with things to come, with things not yet revealed to sight. The th second thing we can see from this, this illustration of Isaac and his sons is that the presence and operation of faith in a life is pleasing to the Lord. The presence and operation of faith in a life is pleasing to the Lord. Now, when we read the story there in Genesis, we didn't see all of the faith that we thought we might see. But the Bible clearly says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is no other way of pleasing God than by faith. Isaac's, Isaac's life was full of tragic failures, wasn't it? I mean, you look throughout his life and you see all of these things that he failed at, especially when it came to raising his children. But Isaac's name is recorded in the list of the heroes of faith. Because in spite of his failures... Isaac believed God. I want to encourage you this morning. You may feel like a giant failure. But even failures can have faith in God. Even failures can have faith in God. Failure never glorifies God. But God can still be operative in the midst of failure. And the perfect work of faith overcomes failures and breakdowns as God does his work in us through our faith in him we see God take failures and turn them into triumphs we see things that God that this world says are trash and God turns them into treasures God does incredible things in and through colossal failures in Luke 22 verse 31 the Bible speaks, Jesus is speaking to Peter, Simon Peter, and he says these words. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You know, Simon Peter went on, and he denied the Lord three times. In the time of the Lord's greatest need, if you will, one of his closest friends denied him. But was it not Peter who later stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ? Was it not Peter who went out in spite of great persecution serving the Lord? How did Peter do all that? God threw him. God did it through him. Peter did it by faith. Yes, Peter was a failure. But he didn't stay a failure because Peter had faith in God. Yeah. And God used him in a tremendous way. So the presence and operation of faith in a life is pleasing to the Lord. Number three. I told you we'd move through these quickly. Faith may be submissive rather than creative in its working. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at Abraham's life, we see this faith that steps out. This faith that goes to new places. This faith that's willing to start new things. This faith that goes places where no one of his family had ever been before. Isaac, on the other hand, demonstrated a submissive faith. Isaac certainly demonstrated great faith on Mount Moriah. When he was a young man... God came to Isaac's father, Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, the son of promise, and I want you to take him up to a place, to this top of this mountain, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. 
The Bible tells us that Abraham got up early the next morning. He took Isaac, he took wood, he took all the things necessary to make a sacrifice. And they went a three days journey to this mountain. And he left the other men behind that were there to help. And he took Isaac up to the top of this mountain. The Bible tells us Isaac was carrying the wood. We know Abraham was well over 100 years old by this point. He's an old man. Isaac is a young, strong man. He could have run away. He could have fought his father off. He could have done whatever he wanted to avoid that situation. But the Bible tells us he carried the wood. The Bible tells us he laid down on the altar. The Bible tells us that he was willing to submit himself to his own father, sacrificing him. But of course, just before Abraham dropped that knife, God stopped him. He said, Abraham, Abraham. You've shown yourself faithful. And he showed him a ram in the bush that was ready to be made as a sacrifice. It was a test. We say, well, Abraham passed the test. Yes, he did. But so did Isaac. Isaac showed great faith on Mount Moriah. Isaac showed great faith in going out to meet Rebekah. You know, Isaac was 50 years old before he met Rebekah. I know. Sometimes you think, well, God will never bring the right person for me. If God wants the right person for you, He'll do it in His time. In each case, though, Isaac's faith was a faith of submission. Of submission. And it was Abraham's faith which took the initiative. So faith can be submissive rather than just creative in its working. Sometimes we always think of faith as that hard-charging person that jumps out ahead and runs in the lead and says, Come on, let's go! But you know, there's a great faith in submitting to God's will and to God's plan. There's a great faith in waiting and being patient on the Lord. There's a great faith in being willing to say, Lord, I'm not sure where you want me to go, but Lord, I'll do what you want me to do while I'm here. I'll be faithful. I'll be patient. I will submit to your plan. Isaac teaches us so much about faith. Another thing we see from this story about the vision of faith is that real faith will be tested at every turning point in life's journey. If you have real faith, it's going to be tested. It's going to be tested. Last week, we were visited by two gentlemen, Bill and Bob. They've been here a week now, so they don't get a chair to sit on anymore. Now they have to stand here. Feel sorry for Bill and Bob today. They're just standing up here this whole time. They've been here and you didn't even know they were here. They've been standing right here since the start of the service. If you're like, this is really weird. We're just pretending. Okay, we understand. All right. Bill's over here and Bob's over here. And last week we looked at Bill's faith. He had real faith. Bob, on the other hand, was really struggling in his faith. Maybe it looked good on the outside, but it wasn't real in his life. See, if you have real faith, if Bill's faith really is real, then Bill has to be ready and know that his faith will be tested. Faith was kindled in the heart of Isaac when he was quite a young man. But at each crisis of his life, a fresh test of faith came. My wife and I talk about this sometimes. We feel like, man, when are we going to ever get through this test or this trial? Or have you ever felt like you keep getting retested in the same stuff over and over and over again? Well, I think sometimes we view the Christian life as kind of this long journey up a mountain. Shandy and I have said this. We kind of think that the Christian life, instead of looking like that sometimes, sometimes it feels like a spiral staircase. You keep coming back to the same views over and over and over again. You keep coming back to the same situations over and over and over again. But hopefully, as you're growing and going up with the Lord, you're able to view that from a slightly different perspective. But just because you face the same trials over and over and over again doesn't mean you don't have faith. No, the testing of true faith is part of the evidence that you have true faith. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Real faith is tested at every turning point. You see, he was this young man going up Mount Moriah, perhaps in his 20s or 30s. He meets Rebecca at age 50. And now at the end of his life, he's blessing his sons. And maybe this is the greatest test of all. Because in the midst of all this, he's also being deceived. His own wife 
is going against him. His own son is trying to get something for himself. But even in that, he still had faith. 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and, glory, and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. James, that we've been looking at on Sunday nights, chapter 1, verse 2, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Faith will go on being tested until one day our faith becomes sight. Last night, nine innings of scoreless baseball. Some of you turned your TV off and said, it's not worth it. Some of you had faith. No, they can do it in the 10th. And you stayed on one more inning. And then you quit. Others said, no, I'm going to go through this test of faith. These Astros are really testing my faith tonight. And I'm going to stay for 11 innings. And you stayed through the 11th inning. But did you have enough faith to make it to the 12th? You know, those fans that stayed all the way to the 18th inning, they were the ones that were rewarded for their faith to be willing to stay with their team to the end. You know, and if we can have faith in a silly old baseball team, don't you think we can have faith in God to fulfill what He says that He will do in His time and in His way? But don't be surprised if your faith is tested. That's how it grows. That's how it's strengthened. Number five, Faith sometimes shines out more clearly in times of defeat than in times of victory. Faith sometimes shines out more clearly in times of defeat than in time of victory. Now this sounds like a paradox, right? But it really is true. Isaac's faith must have nearly failed when he blessed his sons. Because in the end, he realized that he'd been deceived. He realized that he had blessed the wrong son. He realized that at the end, though, that God must have overruled in the matter. And he quickly accepted the situation. I want to take you back to one verse in Genesis the last one I read, verse 33, chapter 27, verse 33, Isaac trembled very exceedingly. This is when he realized what had happened. And he said, Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me, and I have eaten of all before thou camest, and it blessed him? But here's his words that show his faith. Yea, and he shall be blessed. How could he say this? unless he had faith in God. God does sometimes let us falter and fail in order that we may accept his verdict concerning our weakness and his power. Think about it. Every coach knows this. What's one of the greatest ways for a winning team to get better? Yeah, practice. But it's also good for them to lose from time to time. Because in defeat, they learn some important lessons. When things don't work out our way all the time, we can either get frustrated and quit, or we can say, maybe God has a better way. Maybe I need to quit living according to my plans and let God be faithful to accomplish His plans. If I can be faithful to what God has told me to do in His Word, then I can trust God to work it out according to His plan. You know, God's ability to work things out is bigger than the lies that somebody else can tell. God's ability to fulfill His plan is way bigger than any government power that steps in and does something that we don't like. 
God's ability to perform what He says He's going to perform is greater than anything this world could ever throw against it. Because God is able to take things that to us look like defeat and He's able to turn them into victory. That's something only God can do. And there are some things even right now if you pressed me on, I'd say, well, I don't know how he's going to do it with this situation. That one over there still looks like it's definitely in the lost column. But God is big enough to take our losses and turn them into his victories. It may not feel like a win for us. I believe even when Isaac died, he probably died feeling in a lot of ways like a failure but yet he trusted that God's plan would be accomplished. We look at it today and say, look at the great victory God won. We're talking about Isaac today as somebody who's listed in the hall of faith. Look at his great faith. I'm not in Isaac's head. I wasn't there when this happened. But I can almost guarantee you Isaac didn't feel like a man of faith that day. He felt like a giant failure that day. But even through his failure he still trusted God and that's why he made that statement yea and he shall be blessed and God has recorded Isaac for us as an example of faith the vision of faith Isaac learned that sometimes faith shines out more clearly in times of defeat than in times of victory I think one of the greatest illustrations in the whole Bible about this is the story of Jonah you know the prophet Jonah? God came to him and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. What did Jonah do? He went the exact opposite way. He got on a boat and said, get me as far away from Nineveh as I can. Those are heathen people. They're awful people. I don't want those people to be saved. You say, well, why did Jonah feel that way? Why was Jonah such a mean guy? Well, those Ninevites were the same people that had come in and raped and pillaged and burned and taken over Jonah's own family and people and part of where he lived. It's no wonder that Jonah didn't like the Ninevites, but God loved the Ninevites. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and so Jonah's on his way away from Nineveh. You know the story, the big storm comes up, and Jonah gets thrown overboard, and the big fish swallows him up, and he goes down to the bottom of the ocean. The Bible tells us he was there for three days and three nights. And God used Jonah to be a picture of Jesus too, by the way. It's amazing how God does that. You see God superintending in all kinds of human events. But Jonah prayed a prayer in Jonah chapter 2. And he says in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. That's the strangest prayer meeting place you ever heard of. You've heard of the prayer closet. This is the fish's belly. You can't get much lower than this. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. What an incredible thought that God hears the prayers even of the fleeing prophet in the fish's belly. God still heard his prayers. I don't know where you're at this morning, but God can hear your prayers. God wants to hear you. He wants to answer your prayers. He is ready and willing to listen if you'll call upon him. It says, He heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, and in the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows, thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. See how he felt there in verse 4? He felt like God had cast him out of his sight. Are we ever out of the sight of God? Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Psalm 139 says, whither shall I flee from thy spirit? Wherever I go, God is there. Yep. And Jonah realized that, and that's why he says, I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. You know he was in the fish's belly. He got seaweed wrapped around his head. Ugh. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. 
O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. If you'll reach out to God, He will lift you up. Don't forsake His mercy because you're pursuing after your own lying vanities. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And notice verse 10. The Lord spake to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's praying all of these things by faith. He's praying about God's salvation. He's praying about God's work in his life. But he's praying this prayer in the belly of a fish. Jonah was a complete failure until God took that failure and used him for his glory. Faith sometimes shines out more clearly in defeat than in times of victory. It took all the way until Jonah was in the belly of that fish for God to do that work in him and Jonah to trust him by faith. God might be taking you to the end of yourself, but guess what? I got good news for you this morning. You're not in the belly of a fish. You don't have weeds wrapped around your head. So praise God, God hasn't had to take you as far as he took Jonah for him to cry out to God by faith. But he may have taken you a long way. He may have allowed a lot of difficulty in your life and a lot of struggle, but he's not doing it because he hates you. He's not doing it to be mean to you. He's not doing it because he's petty. He's doing it because he loves you and he knows that if you'll walk with him by faith, that's the greatest place that you could find yourself ever. Number six, faith accepts every situation permitted by God as his way of accomplishing his purpose. If God permits it, then God can use it for his glory. We don't have time to go back through in all of the detail in Genesis 27, 1 to 33, but I would encourage you to go back in your own time and, and read through that. Look at how that situation develops and how it takes place, and yet God is still involved in the process. We know from the story as it goes on, God eventually gives Jacob a bunch of sons, and through those sons come all the 12 tribes of Israel. God used a, a lying, self-focused ambitious, deceiving person to become the man that was known as Israel. His sons became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. God loves to use the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. And Isaac accepted this situation as permitted by God. And so therefore he said, Yea, and he shall be blessed. Number seven, faith is beautiful when its vision is good at the end of life. What do I mean by that? Well, Isaac, at the end of his life, the Bible says in Genesis 27, he was almost blind. We know he was pretty blind. He couldn't tell between his two sons. But while his physical vision was dim. His spiritual vision was strong. He was blind yet seeing. How beautiful such faith is at the end of life. I heard of two ladies at the end of their life. Both were in the hospital. Both were near death. And one who didn't know the Lord, she cried out, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. She didn't have the vision of faith. But the other lady, a Christian, said, Lord, hold me a little tighter. This lady had the vision of faith. Is there something you face this morning that you're afraid to do because you can't see far enough ahead to figure out how it's all going to work out? And so you're afraid to step out by faith because you just can't see what's going to take place? What are you failing to do because... What you can see is discouraging. 
What are you doing that goes against God's way? Because you really can't see why it matters anyway. So you're just doing your own thing. And you know it's, God's not pleased with it, but you say, well, I don't know if that really matters. Do you have faith to see that which may be invisible? Do you see what God is doing? Do you see where His Holy Spirit's leading? I can say sometimes the answer is no, I can't. But I know that by faith in Him to continue to be faithful, even when I can't see what's going to happen, I know that when it's the right time and the right place, when God's plan is being accomplished in His way, He will accomplish it. And some of the things He's accomplishing, I can't even appreciate because I can't see it. But someday our faith will become sight. See, we can walk by faith not seeing because we have the privilege of serving the God who sees. Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, when she was thrown out of the house and she was all alone, and she had nothing. The Bible says in Genesis 16, 13, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. Now, this is the only place in the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jew or Gentile, where somebody actually gave a name to God. We see lots of places in Scripture where God calls himself certain things. But Hagar gave a name to God here. She called him the God who sees. The Hebrew transliteration would sound something like this. He's El Roy. He's the God who sees. And we see that theme throughout Scripture when the Bible tells us that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Psalm 139 says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He saw you even in your mother's womb. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to die in your place so you could be forgiven for your sins and reconciled to God. He wants a relationship with you. He sees you. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He has a plan for your life. God sees you. In John chapter 10 and verse 3, the Bible says He knows His sheep and He calls them by name. If you're saved, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That means your name is recorded for all eternity. He's the God who sees. You're not a number with God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when I go and get on an airplane, I have to pull out identification to prove who I am. Doesn't it feel funny sometimes when you go someplace and they say, well, we're going to need a copy of your birth certificate. Well, here I am. I'm alive, right? Isn't that enough certificate of my birth? Well, sir, no, no, we just want to know where. Oh, okay. You know, you don't need a birth certificate with God. You don't have to carry a driver's license. Because he sees. And because he sees, he knows. And he's good. Philippians 4 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Scripture says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Casting all your care upon him because he careth for you. Isaac, the end of his life, he's blind. But I believe he demonstrated the vision of faith. He trusted God in spite of the deception, in spite of the self-ambition of others, in spite of all the problems, in spite of even perhaps his own failures. He had faith in God. And because of that, in Hebrews 11, he's, commanded, or he's commended to us as somebody that we should look at and say, that's a person of faith. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by this story about Isaac.
because the reality is, last week, Bill and Bob, probably more of us found ourselves sitting over here with Bob, feeling like failures, feeling like we've messed up, feeling like we're not sure where we're going, feeling like our faith's not even that strong. But see, there's hope for the Bobs of this world. Because if they will trust in God, God can turn what to everyone else might look as a failure, and God can turn it into a great success. God can take you wherever you are and use you if you'll turn your life over to Him. If you'll trust in Him. If you'll follow Him. Fear keeps us from faith. Because fear says, I can't see. But God can. Hold on to the hand of the one who can see. Let Him carry you if you're not sure where to go. He's a faithful God, the vision of faith. We walk around trying to see where to go, what to do, because if I can't see it, I'm not going to make the decision. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do because I can't see how it all works out. Faith says, I'm trusting in the one who can see. And so here's what I'm asking you this morning. Will you lay aside your fear and your frustration? your own pride that says, I have to know it all myself and say, I'm going to trust in the one who does know it all. I'm going to trust in the one who can see, who does see. And I'm going to trust in his word as the perfect way for my life. Jesus said it very simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but Will you come to Jesus today? Will you trust him for your salvation to forgive you of your sin? If you've trusted him for salvation, will you trust him to lead you and guide you? Trust him with whatever burden you're carrying. Will you cast it upon him this morning? Cast all your care on him. He cares for you. 